This is Yehudi Feldman. We are resuming Mishlei at chapter 16, verse 31. The reason we broke off the last three verses from chapter 16 is because we feel they go better with chapter 17, and especially making a unit. In other words, the first six verses of chapter 17 uh, become a cluster with the last three verses of chapter 16. If you look at the this group of nine verses, you'll see the first verse is Ateret Seferet Seva Bederech Tzedaka Timase, and you'll see the sixth verse of chapter 17 is Ateret Zekenim Bnei Vanim Seferet Vanim Avotam. Furthermore, within the cluster, you have two Tov Mishalim, verse 32 of chapter 16 is Tov Erech Apayim Mishifor. And verse 1 of chapter 17 is Clearly, Clearly, these are two types of similar proverbs, and I think it structurally can be set up as a unit, so we're now going to proceed. Uh, means white hair is a crown, like a real crown. In other words, it crowns the face the way a real crown crowns the head. It also crowns the the head if you have hair. Either way, uh, it's something very distinctive, and it only, of course, comes to people if they live a long life. And the way to live a long life is to 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 conduct your life the derech tzedakah. People who conduct their lives in righteousness will live longer. Remember, the Tanakh's point of view is the way to live long is not to exercise in gyms and not to basically do push-ups and sit-ups and not to run up and down every single day, but to do the right thing, to live the right kind of life. The Tanakh basically takes an ethical and moral point of view to live in, okay? This is a fundamental thing you have to understand about the Tanakh's point of view. You know, when a Tanakh, when, uh, and, and the Bavli carries on the same thing, when they ask the Masechet Megillah people, not one of them says, because I exercise every day. They all speak about some particular good deed that they did. So keep in mind that, you know, the Tanakh, we're learning Tanakh in order to get the Tanakh's point of view doesn't mean you have to agree with every single thing, but you do have to basically understand where the Tanakh is coming from. Tov erech apayim igibor u'moshel b'ruchol milochet ir. This pasuk is famous because Pirkei Avo quotes it in chapter 4, Ezehu gibor hakovesh et yitzro. And to prove that, it quotes exactly this pasuk. Pirkei Avot quotes more psukim from Mishlei than it does from any other sefer of the entire Tanakh. We're going to come across a two-pasuk quote in chapter 24 of Mishlei, but it should be aware of the fact that this is something we would expect. Pirkei Avot is a sefer chachma. The chain of sefer chachma goes from the three sefer chachma of Tanakh which pull Chachma down, I'd say, to the time of the Chorban, according to some opinions in Chazal, Eov actually represents a reaction to the Chorban, was written after the Chorban. 
The next major work of wisdom after the Tanakh was sealed, once we get into the uh, Greek period, is the famous Ben Sira, which was written at the end of the 3rd century, beginning of the 2nd century BCE. And uh, this book is very much like Sefer Mishlech, very type book that essentially carries on the wisdom tradition, was written in Hebrew, was written in Eretz Yisrael, but knows very much about the Kohanim, something that Mishlech does not seem to be even aware of. Knows very much about the Beit HaMikdash, another thing Mishlech is barely aware of. But the next book after Ben Sira is called Chachmat Shlomo. That's another book in the Apocrypha. And that book was written in Greek by a Jew living probably in Alexandria in the first century CE. And then we have Pirkei Avot, which represents wisdom from the first, second, and third centuries CE, starting with the Zugot, who are even before that time, and then going to you know, Rabbi Gamliel, who's from the first century CE, and Hillel and Shammai, who were a little bit before, and then proceeding all the way down to Tanaim, who are straight down to the time of Rabbi Yehuda and Nasi, and some are even later. The last parak, Kinyan Torah, is probably is said to be a bright tub that's attached to the Mishnah. So there's a long wisdom tradition in the Hebrew language, and it's quite natural for Pirkei Avot to quote directly from Mishnah. Most people would think that what, whether a penny turns up heads or tails is pure chance. But the Goral is not looked upon by the Tanakh as pure chance. The Goral represents some kind of an oracle. This is how the Nachalah was divided when Yehoshua conquered the country. So if we're not going to trust that the Goral really represents Hashem's will, then people could sit and complain about their nachalot. Actually, one shaver did complain a bit. Shaver Ephraim complains to Yoshua, who's from Shaver Ephraim. In chapter 17 of Yoshua, Shaver Ephraim says, I don't have big enough nachalot. Looks like it's about to break out into the type of fight that Moshe is always having with Am Israel. But fortunately, Yoshua manages to somehow calm them down and very diplomatically says, you have enough land, you're just going to have to cut down some trees. So cut down some trees, and you'll have enough land. And with that, the argument is settled. So, Better a crust of bread, a dry bread, in peace, than a house that's full of zvachim, which are, you know, basically platters of meat, the type that you would have catered, what was ordinarily offered as a carbon, you know, in the local bamot, and you know, in other words, at, when somebody brought some in, they would basically invite others to to help, you know, consume the food because they had to basically be finished with it in two days and one night. Toza, they had to be finished with in one day and one night. So lots of people got invited. So the bayit would be the entire extended family. The point being, and Chazal have a very good midrash on this. The with the Malachim. The Lechem. The is Bilam when he says All that was basically to start a riv when I'm Israel and of course it wasn't successful. 
Ever maskil yimshol vein mevish ubetoch achim yachalok nachala. In this way, the force of so much of the teaching is to see to it that people work hard in order to basically support themselves and their families and not be lazy. And if they are, they can end up in a situation where a servant who does work hard ends up ruling over them, and not only that, even ends up sharing in the inheritance. Ever does not have to necessarily refer to a slave uh, uh, that was purchased in the market. It could also mean a hired person or someone who's, you know, works there basically on a salary. Uh, an example of this might be Yaakov Avinu and B'nai Lavan. Uh, Yaakov Avinu works very, very hard and eventually prospers. And once he prospers, what happens? By Shema et B'nai, Devrei B'nai Lavan Emar, Lakach Yaakov Avinu, so obviously they're somehow feeling that Yaakov is horning in on their inheritance. Well, the only reason that happens is because of the fact that basically they were sitting there while Yaakov was actually working very hard. As a furnace or a crucible is for silver, you know, and gold, so too Hashem tests and examines the crucible of the heart. May Ra Makshiv al Safat Aven Sheker Mezin Alashon Habo. The second part of the verse um, is the word Mezin really means Ma'azin listen. The point here is that the person who listens to gossip Alashon Hara is just as bad and maybe worse than the person who actually says it. Why is that? Would people steal if they didn't have fences? Would people gossip if there was nobody to listen to them? Would people say Lashon Hara or Rechilut if there was no listeners? If every single time a person comes to you and tries to talk about other people, cut them off at the pass because nothing good can possibly come out of this. Almost invariably what's going to happen is at some point they're going to say something about other people that's either negative or something that the person they're speaking about would not want you to know, as I defined previously, that's Rechilut. Lo eg l'arash cheref osehu sameach le'ed lo inakeh. A poor person should never be scorned and should never be made fun of. And a person who makes fun of a poor person is essentially making fun of Hashem who made the poor person. Consequently, a person who is happy at the demise of the downfall of his neighbor also will not go unpunished. Chazal make a drash on this, which is very well known. That's why you're not allowed to put on tefillin in a cemetery because of the fact that, you know, you're making fun of the people who are buried, that they no longer have mitzvah and you do. This is a great synonymous proverb, you know, the, uh, and the Midrash applies this to Eile Toldot Yitzchak ben Avraham, Avraham Halid et Yitzchak. And then we hear about the birth of Yaakov. In other words, the grandchildren are the crown of the, of the older people, and the greatest pride of, of children is their worthy fathers.
the, the critical point about the Yavos is that whatever good was being done was being passed on to the children. Why are we learning about Abraham and not about Yahweh? It's not that Abraham was a super tzaddik and Yahweh was just a plain tzaddik. They were both tzaddikim equally. The difference is Avram manages to pass it on to his children and to their children and to their children. By the time we're done with Sefer Breshit, by Yayo Sefer Yechav Ben Eishim, I mean, seven generations have gone and they have all basically gone on the right way. That's why they deserve that Moshe should arise after seven generations and with Hashem's help do the Geula. Whereas Eov's children, all they're doing all day is eating, drinking, and feasting. You don't get the feeling that Eov is really able to teach them to do to go beyond that. In fact, Eov's approach is to basically bring carbon out, hoping that the carbon out he brings will somehow atone for any sins his children have done. This is not parenting the way Mishle understands it. Parenting means you have to basically periodically tell your children what the right thing is, even if they don't want to hear it. Okay, and you have to deal with that. And you can't basically, you know, do the approach of basically let kids do whatever they want. That's not serious parenting. From that, you're not going to get Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. You're going to get what David Amelech gets with his children. He refuses to discipline them and see what the outcomes are. You know, Amnon rapes Tamar, Avshalom murders Amnon, Adonijahu, These are children who have no pride or pride or vice versa. The, the correct thing to do is basically to keep the teaching going, and, and, and that's exactly what the Avot and the Ma'ot did. Lo Naval Nadiv When a fool tries to speak in elevated or eloquent language, it just sounds stupid. But it's even worse when a prince speaks lies. Evan Chain Hashochad this is an example of a progressive proverb. The second part sharpens the first. The, a bribe is something that is looked upon as a precious diamond, a precious stone in the eyes of the person who's offering it or accepting it. Not clear, but it could be either one. And, of course, it always works. Unfortunately, despite all the fat places in the Tanakh where the Tanakh denounces bribes, we all know that bribes basically work, and they, and that continues to this particular day. The former prime minister of Israel is now in prison serving time for bribery. If you want to have friends, don't make a big deal over some particular slight that your friend committed against you. Cover it up. Let it go. The Shonebedavad, a person who repeats it and constantly brings it up, breaks up the friendship. Tachat is probably a cramming together of two words, et achat, like Ramzor is Remazor. You know, so it means achat mevin. A person who's got any sense, all you got to do is scold them one time. Whereas a, a fool, even being whipped a hundred times, doesn't bring any sense to that.
Ach Maria Vakesra Umalach Achazari Yeshuachbo. A person who's a rebel looks for trouble and eventually gets it. Again, you have a progressive proverb. A good example of this would be Pharaoh. Pharaoh was rebelling against Hashem. And eventually, Yeshalach, Bohem, Haronapo, Evra, Vazam, Batsara, you know, what we read in the Pesach Agada. Pagosh, Tov, Shakul, Be'il, Be'ish, Va'al, Kisil, Be'ivato. Better a bear on the warpath, one that has been a mother bear ripped away from its baby bear and is looking for the worst type of bear you want to ever meet. You know, on a hiking trail, better to meet a bear like that than to be, meet a fool going after no good. May shiv ra'a A person who repays kindness with evil acts will always end up with evil in their household. A good example of this might be David HaMelech, who's Meshiv Ra'ah Tachat Tova to Uriah Hachiti, his faithful retainer, who has is is soldiering on for him at the siege of Ammon, and in order to basically show Uriah how much David values his service, Uriah Pro, David proceeds to sleep with Uriah's wife Bathsheba, and then have Uriah murdered. Natan Hanavi is then sent by Hashem to tell David, As a result of David being Meshiv Ra'ah Tachatova, we have Amnon, Avshalom, murder, death, rape, strife, Adolam. Paul Termayim, once you let a little water out of the dam, before you know it, the whole dam starts to burst. And the same thing is with quarrels. Get out of them before they break out. And a good example of someone who did not do that is Yosef. Yosef starts his career by saying Lashon Hurrah about his uh, brothers. Next thing you know, he's reciting you know, dreams to his brothers, and this is after the, the Torah tells you, Vyosifu od sano oto, Vyosifu od sano oto, Velo yachlu dabro shalom. That doesn't stop Yosef. He just goes on and on and on. You know, it's not enough to him that he sees his brothers can't even talk to him. He's going to basically, you know, stir this up until he gets stirred up and they get stirred up enough to throw them into a pit. Get out of the quarrel before it gets to that point. Machtik Rasha Umashia Tzadik Toavat Hashem Gam Shneem. This is a good example of this is David HaMelech in his judgment of Mephibosheth versus Siva. Mephibosheth is Yehonatan's son, who's been 100% loyal to David. Siva is Mephibosheth's servant who's trying to supplant Mephibosheth by telling David that Mephibosheth was conspiring against him with Absalom, a total, complete falsehood. Rather than bother to really investigate the matter, David first awards Siva 
all of the Fibosheth's land holdings. And then when he discovers on his return to, on his way back to Yerushalayim, that Mephibosheth was not disloyal to him, instead of giving back all of the land holdings, he says, like, I don't want to be bothered, you know, um, you split it up. And at this point, the Midrash says, Hashem's voice came out of Shemayim and said, Shlomo's Malchut is going to be split up to your Rechavam and Yeravam as a punishment for your being Matzik Rasha of Marshia Sadik. Lama zeh mechir biyar kasil iknot chachma v'levayim. Even if a kasil, a fool, has enough money to pay for lessons and wisdom, it's not going to help them because their heart isn't in it. Don't get yourself involved in courses to learn things that you really don't really feel that you're prepared to do the work of the effort to learn them. The money's not a substitute for the effort and the commitment. If you, when you think how many people in the United States go out and buy memberships in gyms for a year, show up for a month, you know, that's a foolish thing to do. A person should always look for a good friend because you only know who your friend is when you have Tzara. A good example of that in time of Tanakh is Yehonatan and David. Yehonatan Yivaleg, born in order to basically save David from his father's soul. Had David and Yehonatan not befriended each other before Shaul decided that he wanted to have David executed, it's unlikely that David would have survived the king's royal execution command. It's just because Yehonatan sets up a meeting in the field outdoors that essentially notifies David once and for all that he's the warrants out and his pictures in every single post office in the country, um, David realizes he has to make a getaway and successfully makes one. So Yehonatan's friendship is what saves David's life. Adam As I pointed out previously, Mishlei considers anybody who co-signs a loan to be a chasalev, meaning someone with no brains. If you do that and you pledge yourself to pay up a loan, just be prepared to pay it up because once you co-sign, it means that you're the one who's liable in case the first person doesn't pay. Now, as I said before, um, I think the way you have to reconcile this with, you know, co-signing loans for people with too poor is to accept the fact that the tzedakah is the very fact that you co-sign. It means that the poor person can still hold their head up high because there's a chance they may be able to pay back the loan and they're going to make every effort to do it. Ohev Pesha Ohev Matzah Magbiyah Pitchol Mavakesh Shever. Um, this is another one of the uh, progressive proverbs. The person who looks for trouble is and strife is a person who's going to end up with real heavy-duty transgression. Pesha basically means deliberate, you know, rebellion. So when you start strife, you never know where it's going to lead. And a person who looks to basically protect themselves, in other words, live in a situation where nobody can access them. Ma'abiyah pitcho, you know, that means living in a gated community. 
and you know, instead of Avraham Avinu, who's Yosef Petach Ohel, is the person who wants to make sure that no poor person can even approach them. That kind of person is basically looking to be broken because uh, they're going to be eventually as a punishment for the fact that they're making themselves inaccessible to the poor. This second half of the verse could also be understood as when you pick it up, you might trip over it. But I think the first interpretation is more likely. Ikesh in the Tanakh does not mean stubborn like it got to mean later on. The Tanakh just means twisted. And a person who's got a twisted heart will never find anything good. And a person who's got a twisted tongue is going to fall into an evil outcome. And now comes the obverse of the parenthood situation that was described earlier in the Perek. The nachas that the good parent gets is what happens the opposite when the person who ends up with a, a per, person who parents a casio ends up only with yagon, with, with, with misery. And below yismach avinavo, he's never going to have anything to celebrate. In other words, when the kid ends up being a total, complete, you know, loser, even when the kid has a wedding, it's just not anything to get excited about because you know the kid's a loser. You just have to get through it. But as a practical matter, you realize that, you know, the the child who's been raised is a naval, you know. So how happy can you be over the wedding of a naval? Leif Sameach Yetiv Geha Beruach Nechayah Geret. Geha is a word that only occurs once in a Tanakh called the Hapat Kemenon. And um, it's understood to mean a medicine, healing. In other words, a happy heart brings about healing and a miserable, a person who's depressed, you know, dries out their bones. Gerem meaning the bones. In other words, a person's mind has a great deal to do with the person's state of health. As we said earlier in the parak, the Shochad seems to always get what it wants, but that does not make in any way a judgment as to what, what it really is, which is something that comes from the bosom of the wicked in order to basically pervert the ways of justice. At a person who's got sense looks for wisdom. The person who is up to nonsense is looking all over the place with no focus on anything in particular. And again, a, a parent who ends up with a child who's a fool, a scoundrel, is just ending up with bitterness and something that basically every time they see Instead of getting nachas, they just get misery. This is it for today. Tomorrow, I'm going to start with verse 26, because as I think sometimes the archbishop doesn't have the stops right. So we're going to start and go verse 26, and then finish up chapter 18. Shalom. See you tomorrow.